and welcome to Cut the Bull and the Post Truth Apocalypse. I'm Ben, and as always, I'm hanging out with Mike. Hello. And Claire. Hey. Um, today is our Christmas episode, and it's dark Christmas because on this show we refuse, and I refuse, and that by default means that everyone else has to agree with me because, you know. Why not? Because what? You're the fucking dictator. Yes, That's I what am. You want, isn't it? This, is, this is a dictatorship. Yeah. <laughs> Luckily, I agree with you. <laughs> yeah. Not the dictatorship. Oh right, I thought on you... this particular point. Mm-hmm. And I believe this is Claire's first dark Christmas with us, and we've already yes. shocked her into shock. Yeah. A mild state of shock by today's topic. I screamed when we watched a little bit of a video of about the topic today. Let's she did way. let out a little squeal. Yeah. yeah, today's topic is Unit 731, the Japanese, let's say, research centre for biological weapons and medical purposes and weapons and anything else the, the sadistic bastards in that camp really wanted to get there to do, to be fair. Yeah. yeah and we're going to go through that a little bit, but first, let's thank some new material listeners. But I think, before we say anything else, I think this is our darkest ever Christmas episode. Quite easily. I mean, we did Jimmy Savile last time. That's pretty dark. That's pretty dark. This, this is darker. Yeah. Well, we'll see. Listen, you've re- listen you've done the, the side, re- isn't it? You watch the movie, <laughs> listeners. Okay. Yeah. Let's say thank you to Sid Cup in the United Kingdom, Bogra in Bangladesh, Buenos Aires in Argentina, <clears throat> Falklands, Pow in France. Ooh, lots of Americans there. Uh, El Paso in Texas, Houston, Texas, New York, New York, Galera, California, Philadelphia, PA, Shipshed in the United Kingdom, Manchester in the UK, San Cristobal in the Bolivian Republic of Venezuela, Cape Town in South Africa, London, the United Kingdom, Minneapolis, Minneapolis, Minnesota. Mm-hmm. Yep. Niles, Michigan, let's go into the top ten. Gruningen in the Netherlands, Telford, our hometown. Charlotte, North Carolina, Boardman, Oregon, and Madrid, Spain, Ashburn, Virginia, and top is Guadalajara, Spain. Thank you all for listening. You are going to be suitably horrified this week. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Before I, I delve too deeply into into Unit 731, I want to start with a, a, a quite a famous incident that happened in 1937. Everyone well, let's start at the beginning. When did Japan invade China? 1937. I was, I, I was just about to say I that. I thought it was 35. You are right, 35. Yeah. Sorry. Japan invaded China in 1935. It's the second Indochina War. And the reason they did this mainly is because they wanted an empire. They caught up with the West and they'd already smacked the shit out the Russians in 1902. They um, did. Which was a bit of an upset for the books. <laughs> yeah, because the Russians were like, right, we want to expand and. Why is everyone wanting to expand? That was the age of empires, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. age of colonialism. Yeah. The, the and Jap- they thought, oh, we'll take on the Japanese, they're an easy... They're an easy target. Yeah. What they didn't know is that they, the Japanese had this wonderful... When they industrialised, they went from like a feudal society to an industrialised nation in like not even a hundred years, pretty much. It was fucking ridiculous. They were isolated for a long time, weren't they? Mm. Absolutely. So what they did is like, okay, we've got to have a modern navy, so we're going to send people to Britain who's got the best navy. And they're going to learn in British academies, and they're going to learn at British shipwrights, and they'll come back here, and we're going to start building our own. And so they said, "We need a really modern army. Who's got the best army? Germany has. Right, send guys to Germany." They took a bit of everything from everywhere and brought it into this 
very Japanese belief structure, infrastructure, religious belief in some cases. The emperor was a god. It was a code. It was, the it was a pervasion of the old Bushido code because prominent in all of this was this sense of nationalism. Okay. The, the Japanese, we've got to talk about it in the context of the time, so I'm going, to, I'm going to use a few phrases which are a bit out of date today, but they talked about the yellow man and the white man and the black man, and, you know, places in Shanghai which were Western-owned, remember the Western colonies had all their colonies out there, the British, the Dutch, the Germans, Portuguese, uh, Portuguese we were all out there. You know, they were like, well, the, why, why should the, why should we be under the rule of these guys? We're, we're a strong, independent nation. We were samurai. We've got this, just as good a history as any of these other nations. But we were, just, you know, we aren't there. So we need to get there as fast as possible. So we need an empire, and that's why they picked on China, which at the time was undergoing a massive civil war, the communists and the nationalists. So they basically took advantage of the chaos and went, right, we're going to carve ourselves a piece of China. Plus they're ancient enemies too. They've been fighting each other all from, from the age of samurai up to, up to obviously, this point here. And they're still a bit tense today, aren't they? Like us and the French. <laughs> no, like the Entente Cordiale. <laughs> How would you forget about that? Us and the French at a particular period in history, definitely. Or was it war them, weren't we? You mean like we spanked their asses every time we fucking met them? Mm -hmm. Give Johnny Frog a damn good thrashing. I guess Napoleon was the last time we were at war with them, wasn't it? Uh, yes, it was. We fought in the Crimea with them as allies in 1853 or something like that. Yeah, so it was the first time the British and the French had gone to war in something like two, together in like 200, 500 years, something daft like that. Like the Middle Ages, then we started fighting each other. But yeah, they did not like it, so... They came in a peculiar brand of nationalism, of course, within the Japanese culture, and it led them to believe that instead of incorporating all these so-called yellow races into one sort of super uber duper empire where everyone's equal, yeah. the Japanese started to think themselves more superior to the other races. Oh, they shouldn't be equals with us. We should be the masters. They've allowed themselves to be conquered. We never did that. Obviously, we're superior. And instead yeah, the of old-fashioned racism, eh? Mm, and, and the Germans made the same mistake. Instead of going into the USSR as liberators and welcoming people, oh, come on, yeah, you hate Stalin, join our side. They went in there and shot everybody. When really they could have got an extra Christ knows how many hundred thousand soldiers at Ukraine alone, which has suffered horribly under Stalin. And the Japanese could have done the same thing, but they chose to portray themselves as being more superior. They basically didn't even see the Chinese as being human, and we're going to get to that later on in 731, but I think the basis of it is laid here. So during the Sino-Japanese War, Nanking, the capital of China, falls to Japanese forces, and the Chinese government flees to Hankou, further inland along the Yangtze River. To break the spirit of Chinese resistance, Japanese General Matsui Iwana ordered that the city of Nanking be destroyed. Now, much of the city was burned and Japanese troops launched a campaign of atrocities against civilians in what became known as the Rape of Nanking, where they butchered an estimated 150,000 male war prisoners, massacred an additional 50,000 male civilians and raped at least 20,000 women and girls of all ages, many of whom were mutilated or killed in the process. Jeez. Over the course of 
a few weeks. Pretty horrific, isn't it? It is. There's, uh, there was a well-published newspaper story about two Japanese officers having a contest, a bet, on who could take the most heads with their swords. One guy won it with 106, while the other was close on 104. Fucking hell. Psychopaths, man. It was over a two-week period. There's an unlikely saviour in this story. A lot of people, women, children, men, fled to the diplomatic district where several of the other countries who were around, and most of the other Western countries were in there in one aspect or another, where the embassies were, and it was walled off from the rest of the city. It was enclosed, as most diplomatic offices are in, in some countries. They're enclosed in their own little separate district. And one country hung their nation's flag from the walls, say, and shouted as many as they could in the embassy, which is a fair few thousand. Would anyone want to guess which nation that was? Britain? Nope. Germany. Oh, right. Who were allied with Japan at this point. Where one of the German ambassador hung a swastika flag from the walls of his embassy and basically said to the Japanese, no, this is German soil, we're allies, you can't come in and I'm choosing to shout at these people. That's a turn up for the books, isn't it? It is. Yeah. yeah. I just wanted to touch on that because I think it's really important to understand the context of how they treated the Chinese. These were soldiers doing this. Generally, just letting his troops loose. Cry havoc and let slip the dogs of war. You get through the walls, you can do what you want. Yeah, that's what it used to be in the old days, wasn't it? It was. They that was it. That was the thing. Rules of war. Yeah. Or the de facto rule of war was like... All right, we can lay siege to you. Sorry, I'm quitting you off a no, little. We can lay siege to you, but how about if you surrender now, we'll let you walk away. We only want we want the city. We'll take you take enough food and as valuable as you can carry. Everything else you leave, you can go and fight another day. But we want this, or you no. can fight us yeah. and we'll kill you all. Everyone inside dies. You're all enemy combatants. Yeah. You're making us go through the effort of this, this siege, and the bloodshed that inevitably follows. You suffer that price. But to encourage soldiers to sign up, that was it. You, you get the sports of war. If you win, you know you get to loot and rape as much as you want. Yeah. Wasn't it? It was. It was part of the sign-up deal. You can certainly take the spores of war and... and as time progressed, when we get to sort of the the seventeen eighteen hundreds, you have like a military law yeah. come in. That's the, the rape thing stops. The spoils of war is always a bit frowned upon, but they're always allowed to get away with it. For God's sake, they still do it today. You know, everyone still takes trophies, not like ears and stuff <laughs> like that. But you know, like plenty of I'd imagine plenty of soldiers come back with some like Iraqi unit army flag or something, they, some souvenir they'd taken. Yeah. You know. During the Falklands, some of the SAS nicked a statue of uh, the the Argentinian dictator. I did that. And in the mess at Hereford for huh. three years. <laughs> it's interesting the, the, the regard they held them in. And, and see, you see the spoils of war, you just go, go and do what you want. So let's move on to Unit 731. I think that was an important sort of prelude to, to the yeah. what we're going to talk about. So obviously World War II was beyond horrific for hundreds of millions of people. And it's almost as if the developed countries of the world had surplus rage and hate they've been stirring up. And in some cases that's true, especially in Nazi Germany. A little bit of resentment in the Japanese, well, a lot of resentment in the Japanese case. And out of all the areas in which World War II was fought, none was active as long as what would be known as the Pacific Theater. In fact, Japan arguably started the war by attacking Manchuria in 1931. We were both, uh -huh. both yeah. wrong there. And it inarguably waged war with China by invading in 1937. Manchuria is like a 
it's part of China, but it wasn't part of China at the time. It's in, it's in China now. Yeah. It was Chinese people that inhabited it. Yes, pretty much, yeah. So the disturbances and upheavals that these invasions caused shook China to its very foundations and triggered a civil war and a famine that promptly killed more people that currently live in Canada and Australia combined. Wow. Yeah. And lasted until the country's Soviet, quote, liberation in 1945. Well, you can understand, can't you, why they went communist if there's a... <laughs> Famine that's killing that many people. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> it ain't working, is it? No. A Japanese invasion doesn't help. No. And out of all these outrages that Imperial Japan unleashed upon the Chinese people during this brutal occupation, and there was pretty some bad ones as we saw earlier, even by World War II standards, probably none was as gratuitously hateful as the operations of Unit 731, the Japanese biological warfare unit that somehow plumbed new depths in what was already a nearly genocidal war. Despite innocent beginnings as a research and public health agency... That's you, how these things normally begin, isn't it? It is, yeah. Well, we saw that in V for Vendetta. Immunity research, wasn't it? Oh, yeah, we had that pathogen, it killed loads of people. You're undesirable, we're going to start testing this on you. All of a sudden, next thing you know, you're, you're torturing people. Mm. Claire's just shaking her head in disbelief. I think you're not a shock to... Happy Christmas, Claire! Uh, because I showed her some clips of Men Behind the Sun. Oh yeah, Mike watched the doc, the, the film, um, Japanese film, isn't it? Men Behind no, the Sun. A Hong Kong film. Ah, available. It wouldn't be a Japanese film, would it? I don't know. Well, they do really preach against this, no? Yeah, but they're not going to make a film that graphic. They, they oh, that's true. They won't even show a dick. Will they? Or a pussy. Oh, it's all pixelated. They won't even show genitals. Mm -hmm. They're going to make that. All right, Hong Kong film. Mm-hmm. Men behind the sun, and we, we should, uh, 1988. I, I've seen bits of it and decided that I didn't really fancy sitting there and watching that while I immersed myself for a week listening to stuff like this. I was happy to listen to it, happy to watch documentaries, not to watch it happening. Mike volunteered because yeah. his, his worldview is bleak enough. Yeah, it was bleak film, very bleak. It's up there with threads, to be fair. I think it's bleaker than threads. I don't know because you know it's coming to an end, but. The threads thing, I mean, come on, the ending to that. Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Okay. I think no Fred one is... commissioned them in the first place to be, like, you know, torturers. It was, you know, more for, for health reasons. Yeah, research agency, yeah. But you only need one sociopath in charge. Ironically, a lot of this work's been carried by doctors, and what's the Hippocratic Oath? Yeah. First, do no harm. Unless, of course, you're doing harm to prevent harm to others, which, of course, how they justified it. That's we're it, we're it? causing these injuries so we can learn how to treat them better. They eventually grew into an assembly line for weaponized diseases that, if fully deployed, could have killed everyone on Earth several times over. All this progress was, of course, built on the limitless suffering of human prisoners who were held as test subjects and walking disease incubators until Unit 731 disbanded at the end of the war. Yeah, they called them logs, didn't they? They did, we'll, we'll get to that, yeah. So where do they, you know, they just grab these people all from anywhere? Just civilians? You're yeah, under Japanese prisoners. occupation now? Or prisoners? They, Western prisoners as well, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, Western prisoners wasn't too. Just Chinese people. No? Mainly Chinese people. But. Majority of them, but yeah, there was Russian prisoners, there was... Um, I think Australian prisoners, probably a few Americans. Don't think any British. Never heard about British. 
Let's start with the frostbite testing, which is the clip we watched on the thing that caused Claire to squeal. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yoshima Hisoto, a physiologist assigned to Unit 731, took a special interest in hypothermia. And as part of Maruta's study in limb injuries, Hisoto routinely submerged prisoners' limbs in a tub of water filled with ice and had them held until the arm or leg had frozen solid and a coat of ice had formed over the skin. According to one eyewitness account, the limbs made a sound like a plank of wood when struck with a cane. They were just oh. whacking, didn't they, in this film? Just whacking the woman's arms, yeah. chopping the ice off that had formed. Yeah. Wasn't he seeing if she could still, if she was numb as well? I think he was doing that. Because at first he just hit her once or twice and then he, he, he poured some more water over her. Then he he come back a little while later, didn't he? And then when it was mm-hmm. totally numb and frozen, they yes. took, took her through to a bath, yeah. warm water. 15 degrees. Yes. Dip um, the limbs in. Yep, yeah, he tried different methods for rapid rewarming of the frozen appendage. Sometimes he did this by dosing the limb with hot water and sometimes by holding it close to an open fire. Other times by leaving the subject untreated overnight to see how long it took for the person's own blood to thaw it out. Or they just, in the, in the film, they degloved the woman. They put her hands in the, uh, up to the sort of elbows, wasn't it? Into, yeah. into this 15 degrees water. And, and then he made a couple of quick cuts and before you know it, he just skeleton hands. skeleton hands and you don't want skeleton jazz hands which is what she had temporarily. <laughs> yeah. nah, she pulled her hands out the water and her skin looked like it was sort of like dangling Some down a was, little yeah. bit and then then he sort of just pulled it and that's when I screamed because he was just <laughs> like, ah! her, her face as well, you know, what would you do just seeing just your bone? <sighs> Freak the fuck out is what yeah. I do. Horrific, isn't it? Yeah. It's like, great, I've got to have fucking Skeletor hands the rest of my fucking <laughs> life. If I live that much longer, probably yeah. not. I'm going to have a heart attack from shock. Wouldn't you start pissing out of... Yeah, or a heart attack, or pissing out of blood from where, where you know, it's been ripped away. Well, I um, guess it's because it was frozen. Yeah, so it'd be... Um, it'd be dead, wouldn't it? It's dead flesh, I guess. Oh. Yeah. Oh, so it's got a vivisection of conscious prisoners. It started off out as a research unit investigating the effects of disease and the injury on the ability of the, fight, the fighting ability of an armed force. Which makes sense if you guys are wounded or they've got, or they're, or they've got an illness, you want them back in the field as much as quickly as possible, don't yeah. you? Yeah. That's why superglue was invented, wasn't it? It was. I was in Vietnam. Superglue wounds up. Hmm? Yeah, that's why superglue um, sticks nothing better than your hands. Yeah, that's what it was designed to do, yeah. You got a big hole in it, yeah. Mm-hmm. Super glued up. Stops the bleeding. Oh, okay, so it's, it's not temporarily. Yeah, it's a temporary measure, but they might survive then by the time you get them back to oh, your the gut, hospital. Guts are out. Stuff them back in. Super glue you back up. Get a bandage. Away you go. That's it. Now one element of the unit called Maruta took this research a little further than the usual bombs of medical ethics by observing injuries and the cause of disease on living patients. A little further. That's a bit of an underestimate. Mm, just a bit. At first, these patients were volunteers in the ranks of the army, but as these experiments reached the limits of what could be non-invasively observed, and as the supply of volunteers dried up, because we're not at the stage of killing yourself for your country yet. We're not... <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, you can. I volunteer for the live vivisection. No one's doing that. I volunteer to fly my plane full of bombs into a warship in a few years' time when the shit hits the fan. But I'm not doing that. I'll do anything for Japan, but I won't do that. <laughs> that might be the only joke I get in this episode. Mm. There it was. Hope you enjoyed it, listening. As the concept of consent went out the window, so did the restraint of the researchers, and it was around this time that Union 731 began referring to confined research subjects, that's a nice way of saying it, as logs or maruta in Japanese. And the study methods in these experiments were barbaric. And that's the, the inhumanity you're looking at. You're not even referring to these guys as people at this point. They are logs to be cut open, cut apart, do whatever you want with Claire's looking at me with a horrified face again. Yeah, but logs are inanimate objects, it doesn't matter, does it? If you got to dehumanise them. I think I'm just imagining like one of these doctors going, you know, get me the logs. Get me log 36, please. Yeah, find me a healthy female log. Yeah. So, but that's how you dehumanise it, isn't it? The you Nazis have to dehumanise it. it yeah. The Nazis did it in the concentration camps. You know, at first they used to have the Einsatzgruppe going around just shooting people and then loads of those guys started to kill themselves because even though they were fanatical Nazis shooting people, unarmed people over and over again day in day out tends to take a psychological toll yeah. unless you unless you really enjoy it unless, yeah, unless it's drilled into you these aren't human beings, they're vermin, they're rats and that's what they try to do, with, yeah. isn't it? they're, they're subhumans, but yeah. even so Killing unarmed civilians over and over and over and over and over and over again is eventually going to cause you a massive psychotic break, unless you're a sociopath. And obviously there was a lot of sociopaths in those regiments, but... You know you know what I'm saying? Of course, they rise to the top, don't they? That, that's very true. But, you know, so it does... So they, what did they do? They couldn't have people going shooting shooting anymore. They invented a gas chamber. That's an impersonal way of doing it then. It's a very similar thing. Oh, these are logs, they're not human. Don't worry about it. Don't even see them as human. Yeah, they walk and talk, but... Nah. We're the superior race, and these people are yeah. to do what they yeah, we to be better off without them. That's yeah. Basically what it is, a, lot, a lot of... Some radical Japanese thought it was like, well, what do we do with the Chinese when we've conquered them? Do we sterilise them? Do we kill them all? And it was very much like a thing. Like, what do we do? Do we going to sterilise them? Are we going to kill them all? Because they'll come back at us. There'll always be more of them than there is us. Yeah. Plus they want the land to be able to inhabit their own race. That's it. Then they start to, to breed, to spread. After the war's over, you've got your empire. What do you do? You settle down in prosperity. Or you keep attacking, so you need new meat for the grinder, so you've always got to start breeding more. That's why Hitler invaded the East, didn't he? He wanted the land. Mm. A lot of ethnic Germans in the... Uh, Eastern provinces, though, as well, wasn't there? Like, well, you went into Poland, like Eastern Poland, so it was still German up to, well, it was German up to the start of the Second World War. Yeah, but he, Hitler wanted it all, he wanted the Soviet Union, everything he wanted. Well, that's also, you know, the whole Aryan superiority thing as well, isn't it? And so then that's what these guys had. wanted to build a Third Reich, didn't he? Yeah, well, this was the Empire. For a thousand years. This is the Empire of the Rising Sun. Yeah. Very similar, that's why they allied, I suppose, in the war. Yeah. Now, bearing in mind, in the First World War, Japan had fought on the side of the Allies against Germany. They'd attacked German colonies in the uh, in the East, which they took, and then the Britain and France and the victorious powers said, we'll have them, thanks, cheers. Mm -hmm. 
A little bit more resentment from the Japanese. Oh, you can have this. You can have this empire. Why can't we? We're yeah. just as good as you. Vivisection, for example, is the practice of mutilating human bodies without anaesthesia to study the operations of living systems. Thousands of men and women, mainly Chinese communist prisoners, as well as children and elderly farmers, were infected with diseases such as cholera and the plague, and then had their organs removed for examination before they died in order to study the effects of the disease without the decomposition that occurs after death. Mental. Claire's just shaking her head at me. Mm -hmm. Mike has a smile on his face. <laughs> <laughs> Think of the scientific data. Yeah. It was very valuable. <laughs> well, we'll find that out at the end. Mm -hmm. Sadly. Subjects had limbs amputated and reattached to the other side of the body, while others had their limbs crushed off. It's frozen. Mr. It's Mr. McGreg. Mr. McGrew with an arm. Mr. For McGreg with a leg for an arm and arm for a leg. That's it. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> Hi, everybody. <laughs> uh, others had their limbs crushed or frozen or had the circulation cut off to observe the progress of gangrene. Again, a valuable military uh, experiment, that one, isn't it? Don't want, oh, they got gangrene? Shit. How do we treat this better? What's the times? What's the treatment times? There's a limit though, isn't there? But they're never going to get a, a better opportunity than this. Same as Mengele had in Auschwitz. They'll never get a better opportunity. The laws are going to the window. Doesn't mean you should do it. No, but the, just sociopaths always rise to the top in that sort of in that sort of environment, don't they? I mean, there was pretty was soldiers there who didn't like what was going on, but they're soldiers, aren't they? And they've got to follow orders, or they end up on the same fucking treatment table. Yeah. That's the sad reality of it, and until you just... follow an order, you get shot, don't you? Yeah. Or end up on the table getting vivisected. Yeah. Or get thrown in the prisoners who are probably going to kill you because you're a soldier who's observed or participated in beatings, rapes, etc, etc. Yeah. I'm not going to take kindly to you, are they? They're not going to be thrilled about you joining them and taking up an extra space in their already cramped confines, I'd imagine. Yeah, they're not going to be thrilled about that. And finally, when a prisoner's body was all used up, they would be typically shot or killed by lethal injection, although some may, may have been buried alive. Oh my god, you've just been, you just been cut open while you're awake, and they bury you alive just to top it off. Yeah, but at least give me the lethal fucking injection. This just depends how arse they can be that day, doesn't it? First of all, the deglove, you got your skeleton arms. Yeah, just they cut flat. you open. <laughs> You're flapping your skeleton hands around and they put you on the table and then go, oh, let's see what that gangrene, let's see what that frostbite did to, inter did to your internal organs and start slicing you open. And when they're done, they bury you alive if you survive that. Unless you would be fucking tough to survive. They'd die of shock at some point. You'd have cardiac yeah. arrest. Some might not have, though. Some might have survived. That is true. None of the Chinese, Mongolian, Korean or Russian prisoners and Western prisoners assigned to Unit 731 survive their confinement. None of them? No. Nope. Yeah. And these are prisoners of war. Nowadays, you've got the Geneva Convention. Mm -hmm. If someone surrenders, you've got to treat them well. You had that back then too. Oh, did you? Yeah, I don't think the Japanese were signatures to it though. Uh, I think they pulled out of it. I'll explain it then, won't it? Yeah. Yeah, because there's the usual 
process was okay, they've surrendered, you have to feed them and treat them well. Yeah, treat them medicinally, feed them, treat them humanely. I mean, not too well, but... Well enough. Depends what rank you are. That's true, yeah. Unless you're in a Japanese prisoner war camp, like Bijo over the River Kwai, we've all seen that. Mm. Got the officers basically working for the Japanese, haven't you? I mean, to try and keep their men alive, yeah. but still... In World War Two, you want to get captured with the Germans or the Japanese, think of Escape to Victory. <laughs> yeah. You get to play football. Well, that's it. I mean, yes, it, it, was <laughs> a prison, it was a prisoner of war camp, and it was, it was a prison camp. It wasn't a holiday camp, but still, yes, you were allowed certain liberties. You could get and cigarettes. And the officers were treated well. The officers were treated better. And when they tried to escape, they'd bring them back and just give them a little ticking off, wouldn't they? Unless they did it. Really, 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 really often. Yeah. Doug with the Douglas Bard, I got out of cold, it's on two fucking false legs. Fair plan. I think he escaped a few times from various camps on on, on, wooden, on wooden legs. Can't knock mm-hmm. that. Yeah. You're escaping things. Wooden legs? Yeah, Douglas Bard had no legs. He was a World War II fire pilot. He escaped? Yeah. Fuck, how did and he do that? Well, they obviously left him his legs because he was an officer. You know, they can't expect him just to be wheeled about. He's an officer. And in the end, they did have to take his legs off him. I'm just I was going to say, surely, in the end, you're just going to be like, mate, you're running too far with these legs. I'm just imagining the guy, uh, Family Guy, the, the pirate. Two wooden... Seamus. Yeah. With the wooden wooden legs and wooden arms. It wasn't quite like that. <laughs> no. <laughs> they were prosthetic limbs. They were prosthetic limbs, ah, but they were wooden at the time. Yeah. Interesting fact, that's why they reckon he could t- pull tighter G- tighter turns in his hurricane. Because he had no legs, the blood didn't rush down as far. Uh-huh. Interesting fact. Let's move on C- to the next. Cut the legs off pilots, then. <laughs> He's got suits that compress the body now, Mike. You don't just cut oh, the legs. Okay. At least he's not taking legs. <laughs> Welcome to the Royal Air Force, son. The Chinese would have. <laughs> they might have. Save on weight. Yeah. No, I'm pretty sure you needed your feet to do stuff in fire planes at one point. No, you didn't. No. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe to release the bombs. I've no idea. Do it to fly a ward you watching fire. You want to be a fire. pilot, son? Chop your legs off. Mm. You won't be needing them. <laughs> what about after the war? You won't be needing them. <laughs> Who says you're going to survive? <laughs> We've got a plan at the end. <laughs> Obviously, another experiment was the effectiveness of various weapons, and that was of obvious interest to the Japanese army. Uh, to demonstrate effect, to determine effectiveness, Unit 731 herded prisoners together on a firing range and blasted them from various ranges by multiple Japanese weapons, such as the uh, 8mm pistols, bolt-action rifles, machine guns and grenades. Uh, and obviously they were mortared and artillery shelled tied to crucifixes and... You know, let's see, this, let's see what the shrapnel does at this range. Oh, the shrapnel's falling at this one. He's lost a leg. He's 30 metres out. Oh, he's only 20 metres out. He's lost his genitals and most of his thighs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You want to know how effective your weapons are, don't you? Against the enemy. I think a lot of this data had already been collected. Crikey. Well, not... Not really. Not in, not in that detail, no. Only from no. battlefield reports. Yeah. And they're unreliable, aren't they? Who can say who died or what? I mean, obviously, if they clear, someone's been shot. You know your own, but the enemy, I mean, if you win the battle, you might find they're dead, but you won't find they're wounded. They would have been taken away. They may be taken away. 
Yeah. Unlucky if you are wounded and still there and the Japanese get you. Yeah. And wound patterns and penetration depths were then compared on the bodies of the dead and dying inmates. Bayonets, swords and knives were also stood in this way, although the prisoners were usually bound for these tests. Flamethrowers were also tested on, on both covered and exposed skin. In addition, gas chambers were set up at unit facilities and test subjects exposed to nerve gas and blister agents. Yeah. At what point do you go, you don't come, want on, that. come on boss, not, not this. <laughs> you, know. you can't say anything, can you? You're in the army, you can't say boss don't do this. You can't say boss don't do this because it'll go, oh, losing your stomach for it, are you? You're not in this for the, the noble yeah. land of Japan and it's fucking Empire of the Sun, right? Off you go. Front line or yeah. into the fucking you gas cushy, chamber. You've got a cushy job here. You're yeah. safe, you're not fighting the enemy. No. You just you're probably on prisoners. decent food. Yeah. You get sent to the front line when they're fighting Americans. All the Chinese communists yeah. were American backed at this point as we go deeper into the war. And the Brits. And the Australians. And your navy's getting its arse handed to it. So the incentive is not to step out of line and just follow orders, isn't it? Yeah, you might even survive this war. Yeah. That's all everyone wants, isn't it? Survive, yeah. to go home at the end of it. Heavy objects were dropped onto bound prisoners to sort of crush injuries. Subjects were locked up and deprived of food and water to learn how long humans could survive without them, and victims were allowed to drink only seawater or were given injections of mismatched human or animal blood to study transfusions and the clotting process. Oh, can we use animal blood instead of human blood? Let's have a go. That's I'd help if we have to give transfusions if we can start killing cows instead of giving getting people to donate blood. I suppose someone had to think about it, didn't they? Yeah, but this is shit that they tried to do in the Middle Ages, like transfer fucking different blood yeah. transfusions we've been pissed about with since the Renaissance. Mm. You know, they, they people already knew you couldn't give animal blood to humans. They already figured that out through trial and error. Meanwhile, prolonged X-ray exposure sterilised and killed thousands of research participants as well as inflicting horrible burns when emitting plates were miscalibrated or held too close to the subject's nipples, genitals or faces. So it's like, ah, how close should we put it? Ah, fuck it, put it right against it, who cares, only a log. <laughs> what can you say? Fucked up, innit? Yeah. To study the effects of high G-forces on pilots and falling paratroopers, Unit 731 personnel loaded human beings into large centrifuges and spun them at higher and higher speeds until they lost consciousness and or died, which usually happened around 10 to 15 Gs, although young children showed a lower tolerance for acceleration forces, presumably, and they're a bit more jelly-like kids, aren't they? I suppose, yeah. Lower tolerance. Lower tolerance for acceleration forces, so the kids aren't as robust as adults, are no. they? Well, faster you, faster you fire a kid, it's more it di faster it dies. Well, if, if you're in a centrifuge, all the the blood's going to be pulled towards the outer. Mm. Mm. Depending on what position you're in, taking the blood from anywhere, you know, for a pro uh, in the brain for any period of time, it's going to 
knock you unconscious or kill you in it. I guess it's the more blood you've got because you're a taller, you've got more blood in you. Has it, does that look, kids have less blood than adults? Or do you all have eight pints? <laughs> of course pints? they have less blood. They have less blood, yeah. Smaller, aren't they, you fool? I don't know. <laughs> no idea. It's on a weight ratio, isn't it? Is it? It's eight to ten pints. It's no more, than, more than ten, unless they're ridiculously tall, surely. I don't know, let's say eight to ten. Kids have less, so more, it gets, they've got less to keep in the brain. It drains faster, I guess. Yeah. Makes sense, wouldn't it? Yeah. General Shiro Ishii was the commander of Unit 731, and he also thought of it, hey, let's do some experiments with syphilis. Because, you know, them soldiers, while they're out raping or visiting prostitutions... Yeah, been the bane of military since ancient Egypt. Oh, syphilis. fuck, it's pretty... It's the world's oldest profession with the world's second oldest profession. They go together. <laughs> you know, soldier, prostitute, one and two... Yeah, they go together like fucking, like wine and cheese, like yeah. beer and Pringles, like meat on pizza. They always hang around, and that's the reason. They always, when you give get given antibiotics, they say no, don't go drinking any alcohol. Utter bollocks. Yeah. So they need to stop the soldiers getting pissed and then sleeping with prostitutes. Basically, say, say you, you get wounded in the Second World War. Yeah. You go home, you, you get patched up, they, they put you on antibiotics, penicillin, make sure you can't get gangrene. You're going to recover fully, you're going to go back to the front. But they give you a bit of leave in London. So what do you want to do when you're on leave? Because you've just been fighting a war, you've been wounded, you've been in hospital for ages. You're going to get drunk. What happens when you get drunk? You meet women. You start talking to women. Baby prostitutes, and there's plenty of them in wartime London. And before you know it, you've got syphilis. Because everyone's banging everybody at this point. Maybe you find a nice young man, who knows? Maybe you find a fucking non-binary identifier in World War II London, and you're a non-binary identifier, even though you just... I don't know how it all works, but either way. You if, find half your, your, if half your soldiers have got syphilis, they can't You find, find somebody who's got syphilis, can they? and then you're in the hospital for longer, and the job is to get you back to the front as fast as possible. Yeah. So they used to say, don't drink. Don't drink. On this medication. It wasn't because the alcohol did something to the medication no, in your it body. Was. It was just to stop them from getting pissed and shagging prostitutes. And yeah. <laughs> so to learn what they needed to know... Doctors assigned to Unit 731 infected prisoners with the, with the disease and withheld treatment to observe the uninterrupted course of the illness. A contemporary treatment of primitive chemotherapy called Salvazan was sometimes administered over a period of months to observe the side effects. However, to ensure effective transmission of the disease, syphilitic male prisoners were ordered to rape both female and male fellow prisoners who would be then be monitored to observe the onset of the disease if the first exposure failed to establish infection. More rapes would be arranged until it did. Didn't get out on the first go. In you go again. Fuck. That's terrible. Mmm. Alright, what's next? Oh, here's a cheerful one. Rape and forced pregnancy. Beyond just the syphilis experiments, rape became a common feature of Unit 731's experiments. For example, female prisoners of childbearing age were sometimes forcibly impregnated so that weapon and trauma experiments could be done on them. 
whilst pregnant. Yeah. 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 Want to find out what happens to mother and baby after being infected with various uh, diseases, exposed to chemical weapons, or suffering cross injuries, bullet wounds, and shrapnel injuries. The pregnant subjects are opened up and the effects on the fetus is studied. The idea seems to have been to translate the team's findings into civilian medicine, but if Unit 731's researchers ever published these results, the papers seem not to have survived the war years. A civilian point of view would be, okay, we're getting bombed, we're getting air raided. If we've got a pregnant woman, can we save the baby if we lose the mother? Because obviously you need another body for the war, even if it's going to be in 16 or 12 or 8 years time. It's another body. The mother's going to die, can we save the baby? Yeah. But still, not justifying it. No. It's still fucking terrible. It's, it's fucking atrocious. It's, you know, you're raping people then to then blow them up. Yeah, it's beyond fucked, isn't it? Germ warfare. Last one. The totality of Unit 731's research was in support of their larger mission, which by 1939 was to develop horrific weapons of mass destruction for use against the Chinese population and presumably American and Soviet forces if the time ever came. To this end, Unit 731 cycled through tens of thousands of prisoners at several research facilities across Manchuria which had been occupied by the Imperial forces for years. Inmates of these facilities were infected with several of the most lethal pathogens known to science, such as Yersinia pestis, which causes bubonic and pneumonic plague and typhus, which the Japanese hoped would spread from person to person after being deployed and depopulate disputed areas. Now, you want to attack a country, first of all you want to infiltrate it, bring it to its knees so it's weak as it most possibly can, so it's the easiest, easiest to take over. Yeah, spread a pathogen. Yeah. yeah. If half the population have got the fucking plague, they're not fighting you, are they? You mean like Covid? Mm. Covid's a bit different from the plague, isn't it? It is, but you know, it's enough to put you on your arse if you released it. No, because 85% of people don't even have symptoms, do they? Oh yeah, but maybe this is the, this is the research version. You used to say there isn't a more deadly version being bred in a more... Well, look, we know that they are. They're doing gain of function, aren't they? Uh-huh. In that lab, in Wuhan lab. Maybe this is a way to kill... A low-key way to kill off the vulnerable amongst society. Well, it seems to be killing off the, the vulnerable and those with underlying health conditions, doesn't it? That's what they're saying. Still, I think that's what mm. they're peddling. And anybody who hasn't had the vaccine... Don't forget that. Yeah, but do they want to kill them off? Old people are a source of revenue if you're a pharmaceutical company. You want to keep them as alive as long as possible, but still sick. No, nah, because we've now got a fucking COVID boost every six months. Just up the price on that. Mm. It's going to be necessary. And how many variants are there going to be? And every variant, the price gets a little bit more. Yeah, but if you're killing off people that your customers... There's always going to be... Elderly and weak, and, and, and well, other people, isn't it? Everyone's gonna get old. Not in your theory, they're trying to kill them off. Yeah, but this is a never ending cycle. That's, that's, their, that's their money stream, isn't it? Oh, well, well yeah, Mike, so, we're, so being, Mike we're, being, we're being fed with cancers anyway. They're gonna get well, the no, money no, off of no. some other things. Eventually. You know, this is gonna get sooner. 
Eventually, but... Oh, do you still have your customer base, do you? No, no, but then again, there's always they'll always get their money back another way. There's other revenue streams in there. Putting up the fingers in other pies. Probably that world war that's coming. The war with China. China, the Middle East, Russia maybe. North Korea maybe. North Korea and China and Russia together, who knows? And Syria and Iran. And yeah, that could be fun. I can't see another world war happening. Can't you? No. It will when the resources start to run out and we all start yeah. scrapping over who what gets what. That's when it'll happen. Just all wars have ever been fought over as resources. Whether it be land or money or natural resources, that's pretty much everything, isn't it? Yep. When, when they all start running out. And of course the capitalist model we need to keep producing in order to keep the economies going. Need more and more resources. Oil-based, yeah. Doesn't China build something like fucking, like a dozen fucking coal-fired power stations a day or something daft like that, or it was at one point? So yeah, it's mine all that, so it's like build it. But then again, we went through it, didn't we? Yeah. Industrial revolution, so it's kind of difficult to say, well, don't follow our path and become wealthy. They're not going to do it, are they? Yeah, but you got to look at the scale of what's being done. I know, it's and the fact that we've already fucked the planet up a bit, so we've got to, you can't fuck up a bit more. I know. So but then it was an item their right to go through it. That's why we've got to come up with a different economic system around the world, isn't it? Bring on that Star Trek future. Capitalism's killing us, isn't it? It is. It is killing us. You've got to make it more friendly. But you can't, because that's the whole point of capitalism. Yeah, Star Trek's a capitalist society. No, it's not. They're still buying Picard's wine. Well, I don't know about the latest sequels, but... He's got a vineyard, he sells wine, he lives in a chateau, he's rich, man. Well, yeah, that's later on, isn't it? Yeah. They've, they've obviously changed it somewhere along the line, but it used to be, it used to be like a communist thing, didn't it? Well, Luxury communist. Yeah. Are you talking like Picard? Mm. Yeah, he'd come out of Star Trek then, he, he was just dipping back in, wasn't he? In he's Picard. still in the universe. Yeah, I'm trying to say is that they've... It's not the same writer, is it? He's dead, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, Gene Roddenberry. I'm not sure if Gene Roddenberry's son has something to do with it. Still, Lower Decks is fun. Yeah, he said, yeah. To breed the most lethal strains possible, doctors monitored patients for rapid onset of symptoms and quick progression. Prisoners who pulled through were shot, but those who got sickest fastest were bled to death on a mortuary table and their blood was used to transfect other prisoners, the sickest of whom would they themselves be bled to transfer the most virulent strain to another generation. It's beyond belief, isn't it? It's, it's nuts. It's just, just as industrial as the Holocaust. Except this is one facility rather than a nation, an empire-spanning effort. Uh, what? One main facility and several other satellite facilities, but still nothing on the scale of the Holocaust to the, the size of it. But no. One member of Unit 731 later recalled that very sick and unresisting prisoners would be laid out on a slab so a line could be inserted into their carotid artery. Where's a carotid? Carotid, carotid artery. Carotid artery. Oh, the neck. It's in the neck, yeah. Sorry, I couldn't even read that on my first day. The mm. carotid and I was... When most of the blood had been siphoned off and the heart was too weak to pump anymore, an officer in leather boots climbed onto the table and jumped onto the victim's chest. 
with enough force to crush the rib cage, whereupon another dollop of blood would spurt into the container. Every last drop. That's hardcore, isn't it? That's fucking crazy. It's just mental. Claire's just looking at me in shock again. So yeah. All you've done is you just have this <laughs> look of shock upon your face. Well, it's just beyond belief, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, it's horrific you know? to think that human beings are capable of this thing, this stuff, isn't it? Yeah. Jumping up on the rib cage. I mean, come on. Just to get that last drop of blood out. <sighs> it's nuts. So when the plague backless had been bred to what was felt to be a sufficiently lethal caliber, the last generation of prisoners to be infected were exposed to a large number of fleas. Eumenius pestis preferred vector of contagion, that's how the black death spread. Mm -hmm. The fleas were then packed in dust and sealed inside clay bomb casings. On October 4th, 1940, Japanese bombers deployed these casings, each loaded with over 30,000 fleas that had sucked blood from a dying prisoner over the Chinese village of Kuzhao. Witnesses to the raid recall a fine reddish dust settling on surfaces all over town, followed by a rash of painful flea bites that afflicted nearly everyone. This is like medieval shit, isn't it? Mm. This is the equivalent of flinging your dead bodies over the wall. Yeah. Oh, that's nasty. So from contemporary accounts, it is known that more than 2,000 civilians died of plague following this attack, and that another 1,000 or so died in nearby Weihu after the plague was carried there by sick railway workers. Other attacks, using anthrax, killed approximately 6,000 more people in the area. Now in August 1945, after Hiroshima and Nagasaki had both been bombed, the Soviet army had invaded Manchuria and utterly annihilated the Japanese army. The emperor read his famous, infamous or famous, however you want to look at that, surrender declaration over the radio and Unit 731 was officially disbanded. Its records were mostly burnt, destroying any useful information the team had managed to generate in 13 years of research. Researchers mostly slipped back into civilian life in occupied Japan as if nothing had ever happened, and many of them becoming prominent members of university faculty. Really? Yeah, so no justice. Nope, because as we'll find out shortly, this was a cover-up at the end of the war. To this day, Japan has not apologised for, and China has not forgiven, the countless atrocities Japanese forces visited upon China between 1931 and 1945. And as the last witnesses to this history go old and die, it's very possible the matter will never be addressed again. I mean, that is what they, what they do. I mean, my God, it was horrific. I mean, there's... I only remember me nan telling as a bloke in in well in our in my well, in our hometown Dorley well mine and Mike's uh, Claire you have a different bit of Telford but it was captured by the Japanese and he had bamboo shards jammed up his fingernails and oh. you know he was never the same guy ever again I mean he never married he was a quiet bloke that was it he when you you know he just that was it he ran the cake shop and baked the cakes that was it yep. I just think he was one of the lucky ones. Oh. Yeah, he got that alive. Yeah. 
It wasn't cut open alive. That's it, isn't it? It's fucking it's crazy. And you know, a lot of Western prisoners, I mean British, Australian, they were worked to death as well, but nothing like on on a scale like this. I mean it was slave labour, this is just sadism. Is this one of the worst atrocities in human history, do you think? I think it's up there, isn't it? I think the Holocaust gets it for the scale, isn't it? I mean, you're talking yeah. six million people. I mean, the thing is with, with Unit 731 is I've never read a death toll. I think you said a few thousand, didn't it? A few thousand in some experiments, but... So I don't think it, the numbers were there. The numbers but... aren't there. It's on a lower scale, but the sadism... Yeah. I mean, the, the Holocaust is, is, is number one. This has got to be in the top... Well, I don't know, I wouldn't like to say. I mean, there's been genocide through history, but on a... Sadly. On a sadistic scale, this is up there, isn't it? Yeah. Absolutely. They just It's barbarism, it's it's racism, It's it is racism, because obviously they have a superiority over yeah. these people, they're referring to them as logs, so anyone that wants to come at me for that, before, are you crying racism? No, it's not. This is part of a nationalistic yeah, agenda. It's eugenics, isn't it? Yeah, it's hmm. any other race that's up there, isn't it? You know, and it's well documented. The Japanese government was like, "All right, once you've taken China, we're going to sterilise them. We're going to we're going to euthanise them. What we're going to do? We're going to subjugate them. How do we do it?" But the euthanisation and sterilisation was on the table. You know, I learned that from Dan Carlin. And you want to dispute my sources, listeners? Mm-hmm. Hardcore history. Have a check out of their um, Pacific War six-parter. It's very good. Get me entertained last last week, as well as others. So let's say that let's go to the cover up. After General Douglas MacArthur accepted the official surrender of Japan on September second, nineteen forty-five, work began on the compilation of evidence of Japanese war crimes. No shit, for everything. Fuck me. Eventuating in the establishment of the International Military Tribunal for the Far East. So, as Japan's irreparably tarnished image, there was seemingly an end account of Japanese atrocities committed across mainland Asia and the Pacific Islands. Rape, torture and the astonishingly creative cruelty grew to characterise the imperial Japanese military. And it could be reasonably expected that Allied forces would have upheld the charter of the uh, War Crimes Tribunal, prosecuting Japanese war criminals to the fullest extent available, as it should be. Unfortunately, some of the worst Japanese crimes in humanity were deliberately omitted from human rights tribunals. The chemical and biological experiments on Chinese and Allied POWs by Imperial Army Unit 731. Now, obviously, it was established by the Emperor because everything would be. He'd have to give some kind of nod. Mm-hmm. Their exact mission varied over the course of its operations. Two focuses remain constant. One, research and develop the creation of biological chemical agents and two, research the effects of extraordinary conditions on the human body with the aim of bettering the treatment of Japanese soldiers in combat. In 1945, the United States' explicit strategic reason to pardon members of Unit 731 was a threat posed by the USSR. Unit 731's experiments, horrific as they were, provided enormous amounts of useful medical knowledge and data to the United States Army regarding biological and chemical warfare and, of course, medical treatments. Mm -hmm. 
After gathering the unit's data, General Douglas MacArthur decided that information learned by members of seven units, Unit 731 had the potential to be of major strategic importance in a future war against the Soviet Union, and that meant the secrecy of the unit would become a strategic priority, and that all information gathered on the unit would be strictly confidential, precluding Unit 731's inclusion in the Tokyo War Crimes Trial. Unbelievable, isn't it? Yeah. Like, uh, yeah, that that was horrific. Data is more important than than the lives of the people. Yeah, getting justice for the lives of the people. So, because we need that, because we might be going to war with the Russians soon. So you know what? Well, they've got all that data. Be ashamed to waste it. I thought a lot of it was burnt. Still got the people. Yeah, knowledge of the people, isn't it? It's like Project Paperclip. And I'd imagine that a lot of it might have been burnt. But stuff has been sent off, remember? Copies have always been sent off to head office. Hmm. This is what we're doing. This is the data we're getting. It's going to mainland Japan. Well, it's going this... on for 13 years, did it say? Yeah. yeah. So they're going to be reporting to somebody, aren't they? Of course. And of course, if you get the doctors that perform the experiments, and they, can... they can tell you the data, can't they? Exactly, first hand. Yeah. Yeah, the US Army's response to a public inquiry regarding Japanese experimentation on human subjects was a mix of feigned ignorance, outright deception and intentional suppression. When prodded by American journalists, US Army leadership repeatedly claimed to have found no evidence of Japanese experimentation on human test subjects. Over time, this continual refusal to, to acknowledge the crimes of Unit 731 began to create issues between the United States and Allied nations in the Pacific, namely the USSR. Soviet troops had captured multiple research facilities used by 731 in Manchuria and concluded that the Imperial Japanese Army had been performing biological experiments on Allied POWs. After science, Soviet intelligence gathered the necessary evidence, they established a human rights tribunal in the eastern Russian city of Khabarovsk. I'm going to go with that. <laughs> the trial at Khabarovsk, in keeping with the Stalinist traditions of the time, was less a trial and more of a ten-day retelling and condemnation of the Japanese human experiments in Manchuria. However, the Khabarovsk trial deserves recognition as the only public forum at the time which discussed and released information regarding the atrocities committed so by Unit 731. We wouldn't know about it now if it wasn't for that, I guess, then. Because mm-hmm. the Yanks would have covered it up. And ironically puts the Russians and the, uh, and the Stalinist Soviet Union as the moral party in this. Hmm. Well, why would the Yanks want to cover it up, then? Because they wanted the information. Oh, they, oh, right. They're yeah. occupying Japan now, where are the doctors and all that gone. Back to Japan. Yeah. It's all theirs now. The Russians... It's like Project Paperclip. Mm-hmm. And they got all the Nazi scientists. Werner von Braun took them to the moon. Yeah. Was still a member of the SS and developed the V2 rockets which bombed London. It's crazy. Yeah. What they're willing to forgive for knowledge. Knowledge is power, isn't it? Of course. I mean, the Japanese weren't excessively technologically advanced during World War Two, not as much as the Germans, although they did have... Um, Rocket-powered suicide rockets by the uh, suicide bombs by the end of the war. Ed, what? Rocket-powered suicide bombs, like V1 rockets, were piloted mm. by people. Oh right! But they were, I think, like only a handful. I, was say, I, never I haven't. Them. I never looked into that. I know they had them. I don't know if they ever used them. 
all gotten to the stage. Well, they definitely didn't get to the stage of mass production, but the Germans did give them like a V1 and said, "There you go, best technology sharing." They had suicide torpedoes. Did they? Yeah, you'd be, you get in, you'd be put into the torpedo tube of submarine, and you would yeah. be fired off. And of course, the, because because the technology at the time and Japan's ability to produce lots of really good stuff on a massive basis was limited by the the weak. Mm. You know, your propellant might run out, so your, your main source of ignition might go, or you might just pop out and sink to the bomb, who knows? And of course, then you're just stuck there. It's not a job you want. It's not a job, but you volunteered for that. The kamikaze mission wasn't just the planes. Mm. We'll do an episode on kamikazes one day, I think. I've got quite into Japanese culture recently. I think there's more to it than that. Yeah, no. <laughs> I've been reading a lot of, I've been listening to that Dan Carlin thing and I've been like and there's a few other podcasts I listened to that got me into The military this, culture. The military culture of Japan in the Second World War. Mm. Sounds pretty brutal. It's yeah, very brutal. But yeah, so basically it was a cover up. Mm. There you go. And that I think our dark Christmas episode has ended. Uh, I think it's our darkest. Yeah, it's well dark, in it? Well dark. And that film about it is horrific as well. Yeah, it's uh, Men Behind the Sun. It is on YouTube, I think. Certainly the highlights are. Yeah, the film's on there, yeah. This is, like, in my in my own... I mean, obviously someone will go, oh, well, there was this genocide of such and such and this year, and oh, yeah, okay, that was probably worse, but this is definitely up there with the, with the Holocaust, isn't it? Just the sheer barbarity and sadism. Yeah. Yeah, because it's procedural, isn't it? It's... it's yeah, it's very measured, very yeah. calm. and There's a scientific approach yeah, to it. Like, yeah, it's all thought out. It's premeditated. That's it's... the word I'm looking for, yeah. Yes, absolutely. You know, it's not sort of like... Spur of the moment in a heat of battle. Some kind of massacre. It's over a sustained period of time. Using these yeah. people... Just to conduct the most horrific experiments on them. The disease one Suffering. gets really... Yeah, that disease one. It's just unimaginable, isn't it? Oh, God, yeah, I mean, all of it's fucking horrific. But the disease one, they're like, oh, we're all really sick, I'm going to drain you of blood and put it into, I don't know, the guy you've fucking been mates with for the last couple of years while you've been in here, being brutally treated. Or not a couple of years, even, probably a matter of weeks, with the one person you managed to strike some kind of thing up with and we're going to just inject him with your plague-ridden blood, and then some cunt's going to jump on your chest to get a bit more out. I mean, what the fuck? Here it is, Merry Christmas. Christmas. Everybody's having fun. (laughs) (laughs) I was wondering if you were going to do it. (laughs) Waiting for the right moment. You, did you pick that? Was you, you've yeah. been saving that moment? I thought I was going to see something whirring behind your eyes. <laughs> I'm waiting for that moment. And that is Dark Christmas. So I'll be Ben, wishing you a very Merry Christmas <laughs> after listening to that. Thank you for listening. Follow us on Facebook, Cutting for the Bull and the PTA. No. Cutting for the Bull and the Push of the Apocalypse. Yep. SoundCloud, Cutting for the Bull and the PTA. We're on Anchor, Spotify, anywhere you can get a podcast, really. We're on there somewhere. Find us. YouTube. YouTube at uh, Apocalypse Bull. Yes. YouTube's the one consistent in all of this. I like, I like, I wish we could be called Apocalypse Bull. I wish we always have chosen that, in a way. 
Well, we're stuck with it now. Yeah, I know, yeah. Well, it's a unique title, isn't it? Yeah. No other fucker's got this title out there. No. Very true, although <laughs> it is, like my dick, a mouthful. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, I will uh, say thank you for listening. I've been Ben. Don't join the favourite. Don't join a court. I've been Mike. Thanks for listening. Peace out. May the force be with you. I love you, Claire. Keep an open mind. I'm not sorry for the literature. Thank you, guys.